This morning, I want you to reach into your service folder and pull out the notes. Somebody today said, Pastor, that's, that's a lot of notes. So, it reminded me this morning of the pastor, he came to his church and he actually preached quite a long sermon and after the service, one of the people came up and asked him why he had a Band-Aid right here on his neck. And he said, oh, this morning I was thinking about my sermon and I cut myself shaving and the person said, well, next time why don't you think about your shaving and cut your sermon? So, I am. Oh, don't be excited. So, as I was walking through this again uh, yesterday, I really felt like we're going to, we're going to go halfway through here today, maybe like two-thirds of the way, because I, I want to end in a, in a unique way again as we did last week. And we will follow through then with the remainder of this. And that's why it's important for you to come week after week, because you get these in a series and you can take precept upon precept and, and, and learn. So uh, that's where we're headed this morning. When our kids were just getting into their teen years, I took them to a concert. And some of you here may remember this artist. His name was Carmen. You remember Carmen? Yeah. And so Carmen was filling concert venues. He's packing them out. And then he did the most ridiculous thing. He decided that he would do those for free. And then all he would do is then take an offering at the end and see how that worked. Well, you, could, you know that busloads of people showed up. And so we happened to live in Portland, Oregon, and they were doing, they were, he was having his concert at the Rose Garden, which is the big auditorium, the big stadium where, where the Trailblazers play. And so I grabbed my kids and said, free's a good price, let's go. And we decided we'd get there about three hours early so we could get a decent seat. Well, when, I, when we got there, we got off the, the metro line and headed up to the Rose Garden. Already, three hours before, there was this massive humanity that just shocked us. They were lined up in, in about eight doors wide in, in the front of the Rose Garden, and they were eight doors wide for block after block already. I thought, there is no way I'm going to be able to stand back there and even get a decent seat or even maybe even get in. So I walked to the front of the line, first of all, hoping somebody would recognize me. <laughs> and I would adopt them, but nobody did. So we got to the front of the line. And I said to the people at the very front, I said, how long have you been here? They said, about eight to ten hours. I said, oh, man, eight to ten hours. And then I noticed... I noticed next to them were a series of doors, and I said, did anybody tell you that no one's going through these doors, that these are locked? They said, oh, no, we just stood in front of these doors, and as people came, they just started standing behind us. I said, are you serious? Nobody said that, that these doors were out of bounds? Said, no, 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 no. I said, kids, stand here. Within minutes, we were in the front of the longest line you've ever seen, and we got great seats. Here's the deal. I want to propose to you this morning that because of our ignorance at times, we are left standing in a very long line of lost hope. And I call that poverty. We have, we have these wide open doors of opportunity in front of us, but poverty tells us that 
that there is no hope, that, that we don't have the goods in our hands to be able to get through that door. There is no way that you can get there or you can get that thing because it's way, way away from you and you don't have the ability, you don't have the resources, you don't have the goods to get there. I want to define poverty as I did last week, and it's this. Poverty is refusing to become what God has destined us to be. And and I want to say to you, if you weren't here last week, please download the podcast because there are so many solid truths for where we're heading on this series that it would be well worth your time to listen. Poverty is refusing to become what God has destined us to become. See, we have trouble believing that Jesus can get us in the place or place us where we get the fullness of God's plan for us. We're not sure that Jesus can get us through that door. I refer back to a quote I gave you last week. I want to give it to you again by Chuck Pierce. It says, poverty is not just experiencing lack. It occurs when we conform our circumstances to the blueprint given us by the world, and we never see who God really made us to be. Poverty occurs when the God of this world surrounds and influences us with the world's perspective, causing us to forget God's ability in the midst of our circumstances. Poverty is the voice that says what? God is not able. I cannot tell you how many people I come across and I talk to and even I deal with these issues at times when I face a circumstance and I go, geez, there is no way and I don't understand that there is this wonderful door in front of me. I don't even see it because I don't understand it. And, I, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, God is good for that and God did this for him and God did that in the scriptures, but I don't think there's any way that he's going to do this for me. And I might say it with my mouth that, okay, yeah, he can, God is able, but do I really, really, really believe it in my heart? And I honestly believe that as we, are, as we are journeying in this culture and in these next decades, that we're going to have to come to a place that we have this strong faith to face what's going to be in front of us because things are not getting easier, they're getting more difficult. Not only is culture becoming more corrupt, and you can see the corruptness around us, and, and you know that nobody trusts Washington anymore because they say everybody's corrupt, and, and there are those who are. Nobody trusts the church anymore because the church is corrupt, and there are those that are. We don't trust anybody, and the world is getting more corrupt, and the world itself, the earth itself, is beginning to groan, and that's why we see more earthquakes, and that's why we see horrible typhoons and hurricanes, because the world itself is dying. And for us to be able to face that, we've got to believe that God is able. And so Chuck Pierce says that there is this voice that tells us that God is not able. We learned last week that that voice is a voice we call mammon. Here's what Jesus said about that voice. Matthew 6, 24, he said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that word money is the word mammon. And mammon is more than just the love of money. Mammon is a demonic spirit who is attempting to set itself up as equal with God. And its major, major passion is to separate you from God so that you don't believe God. So that we come to a place that we refuse or are fearful of being generous with what we already have. We always say, if, if I can just get to that spot, I can be generous. If I just had a little more, I could help the people in the Philippines. I, I could help the kids in the orphanage in Haiti if I just had a little bit more. 
We refuse to invest where we think we should, and we are afraid to believe that we can do anything unless we have the riches, the resources in our hands. When we do that, we have bowed down to a spirit of poverty, and we've listened to the voice, and it begins to block out the knowledge of what God really wants you to be. We trust in the riches in hand more than we trust the God that we worship this morning. And so, it's so much easier, isn't it, when you come in here and you start worshiping and, and you have this sense of God's presence because that's why we gather because it reminds us of his awesomeness. But when we get away from each other and we've wandered out and it gets around Wednesday or Thursday and we haven't really connected with people who are also believers and we just feel stripped of that energy and that belief and we begin to believe I can only do what I have in my hand what it allows. To be rich, from God's view, is not to have more than enough or even enough in our hands. To be rich is to master the place or the position that God has assigned us. Our problem is that we don't understand the open door that God has put in front of us. And it is so easy not to see that or understand it because of the bombardment of everything that is anti-God around us. So Jesus describes that understanding this way. Jesus said in Matthew 13, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where he did not have much soil. And it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Another seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, what? Let him hear. And when Jesus finished speaking, in essence, they said, huh? What? I don't get it. Pam and I had an acquaintance when we lived in Gresham, Oregon. And she was in her 70s, and she was a spry old lady. She would still do, do whitewater rafting at age 70. She was just phenomenal. So she was courting, and her boyfriend came over, and they spent the evening together. And when he got left, he reached over and gave her a Hershey's chocolate kiss and said, here's a kiss. Yeah. Well, it was getting late. She was tired. It was at least 8 o'clock. So she sat back in her rocker and unwrapped that chocolate, and as she did, she fell asleep. And later she told us the story. She fell asleep, and, and somehow a little bit later she woke up realizing that, that she had do, dozed off, and she remembered that she hadn't put her hearing aid back in, and so she reached into her hand thinking it was her hearing aid. And she inserted the Hershey Kiss in her ear. She fell back asleep again. She woke up again and looked over to the side table, and there was her earring aid. And just because she was still drowsy, she reached over and got her hearing aid and put it in. <laughs> she said the next morning, I was deaf in my left ear because it was just coated in chocolate. I think, much like our friend, 
we are trying to hear, but there's something that's in the way. Because I, I can ask any of you in this room, do you want to hear God and do you want to do what, what he has for you, the best thing? And we'll go, yeah, yeah, we want to do that. But we're having trouble hearing him. So Jesus said this, verse 13, when they said, why do you speak in parables? Because these people can't figure it out. And Jesus said, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And circle that word understand because that's our focus. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. To understand means to create a union. And this is so vitally important. It is a union. It is a union of beginning to comprehend and beginning to act. It's comprehension and action at the same time. It is the story of Peter who's been looking at Jesus, contemplating Jesus, and then Peter and his boys go out fishing because that is their livelihood. That is the family business. And through the evening, they catch nothing. The next morning, they've got no fish. They have no sustenance. They have nothing to sell. It's a tough, tough thing. Jesus shows up ready to teach the masses, and as we read earlier, he does the same thing here. He asked Peter, while Peter and his guys are, are cleaning the nets, he said, can I use your boat? I want to use that for a lectern. So they, they push him out in the water. He begins to teach, and Peter's hearing the teaching. Jesus gets done. He comes back on shore, and he says to Peter, Hi, how's the fishing? And Peter says, oh, I just got nothing. And Jesus said, okay, take your boats out and your nets and put it right there in the deep part. Now, you ought to understand what's going through Peter's mind because Peter is a fisherman. He's done it all his life. He was raised on the sea, and Jesus is a, is a carpenter stonemason. Jesus doesn't know fishing. So Peter cannot comprehend what Jesus is trying to do. He does not understand what Jesus is doing because there is absolutely no way that's going to make a difference. But he makes this amazing statement. He says, I don't understand this, but because you say so, because I may not trust the plan, and I don't understand what you're doing, but I think I'm beginning to understand you, and I think I'm going to trust you. So because you tell me to do this, I'm going to put action to something I don't yet fully comprehend, but I'm going to do this because you said it, because I can trust you. So they push off. They put the nets down. They, they have the most phenomenal catch, the biggest catch anyone's ever seen. It, it's bursting the nets. It's swamping the boats. They get it in. And while he's out there, he's got this epiphany. He has to. He's figured it out. This thing worked because he said so. The truth comes about because he's got control. So when he says it's going to happen, that is the truth because I trust him. I can't figure out how all those fish got together at a convention and hung out there and we got them. But he said it, so there's the truth, and it hits him. This one is from someplace else. He's from someplace other. He is from a holy place, which is what the word holy means is other. He's got this otherness about him, and therefore he is so massive that even the fish obey him. Wow. I'm in awe, and I am such a stinking sinner. What does he know about me? Jesus get away from me because this is just way, way over my pay grade. I can't deal with this. And Jesus turns to him and says, oh, and, and would you follow me? And Peter has got to think, yeah, because I'll get really a whole lot more understanding. There comes this moment 
When Jesus shows us a truth and we don't figure out how that works, when he says, given it shall be given unto you, how's that going to happen? Love your enemy. What? That, that doesn't make sense. We don't understand it, but we've got to say, but you I trust, and if you say it, then you'll make it happen. Therefore, I will begin to trust you, and as I trust you, I will begin to understand how this works, and I will get comprehension. As, our, as, we, as we begin to, to do this, our understanding will grow deeper. As our awe in him increases, as we go, oh, look who he is, I begin to understand this, and as our worship goes deeper. Because our worship is a fresh understanding of who he is and then the correct response and action to him. Not so much his plan, but to him because being in awe of him will bring us in line with the plan and the plan will unfold before us and we'll go, now I'm beginning to understand. And the ignorance has moved out of the way as we act upon what we, he has said for us to do because we trust him. Here's what gets in the way of us hearing. Appreciate the words of Sandy Freed. She said it this way, when we don't act on truth, we allow the evil one to steal it, replace it with a lie, and build a stronghold around it. Paul concurs with that because he said to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, and don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of this age. This is referring to Israel in Numbers 14. And, and what had happened is God had said to Israel, let me take you from your captivity, from your poverty. I'm going to take you to a land of prosperity, my plan for you. And I want you to live and, and master the place and the position I have for you. So I'm going to take you there. He takes them there. When they get there, they go, they send in spies. The spies come back and say, absolutely, the provision's there. But what they don't trust is the fact that they will master that. They don't trust the fact that they will master the place or the position. They say the place is loaded with giants and the enemy has fortresses and armies that we cannot overcome. We don't understand this plan. And two of the spies say, yeah, but this still is Jehovah God. And we trust him. So what he tells us to do, we will do. And they say, no, no. And then they say this. We would rather be back where we started. And God says, okay, that's where you'll go. And for 40 years, from age 20 and above, they all walked in their poverty for 40 years until they all had passed away and never reached the provision that God had for them. Grumbling parks us in poverty. When we don't trust God, and see, here's the, here's the thing about trusting God. I can't just say to you, trust God, and you're going to trust God. You've got to trust God because you spent enough time with him and studied his words for his Holy Spirit to say to you, this is God, and you go, yeah, I got that now. And, and that can't happen with 30 to 40 minutes with me on a Sunday morning. It can't. In fact, for me, the only way that I can stay on top of that is every day I've got to keep reflecting on that and reading those scriptures and spending time with him. I just had a friend who... Um, who texted me this week and he said, or, or Facebooked me and he's on a private message and he said, hey, I just want to let you know that, boy, I've been getting up at 4.30 in the morning because I just felt like God said things are going to get tougher and I've got to really be able to trust him. So I'm spending like two to three hours every morning trying to pray and talk to God because I've got to have this thing ready when, when I get hit with it. That's the way we trust him. 
When we don't trust God and we murmur concerning the provisions we have or the lack of provisions, we stop moving forward and we actually park ourselves in the enemy's camp. And that enemy is the one called mammon, that one who presents to us the spirit of poverty. Jesus went on to say in Matthew 13, these words, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky place is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Look, just because it appears that it's not working out doesn't mean that God is not working it out. Because he does most of his work in the invisible realm. He says, the problem with that is that when we look and say, it's not happening in my time or in the way that I think it should happen, he says we fall away. That word is actually where we get our word scandalized. We are scandalized by God, or actually the word is we are offended by God. So here's what happens. We get offended by God because we said, okay, you know, I, I gave my tithe, or I, I gave away, or I, I, I prayed, or I did what you told me to do, and what I thought was going to happen is not happening. And we get scandalized, we say, Pfft. I'm going to do something else. And so we move away from God and we separate from God. And remember who the author of separating from God is mammon. That, that deceitful demonic force has pushed us away from God so that we're not trusting him. And so what we've done now is we have camped ourselves in an in demonic environment where we hear the whispers of all that is anti-God. And we become ignorant to what God has for us because here, as we talked about this last week, here's what God has planned for us. He has planned for us to be able to grab and possess and hold on to the things that he's provided so that we can do this, so that we can have enough to enjoy life, to promote his kingdom, and to generously share with other people so that they in that process can find God's place and position for them. That's his plan for us. And yet we don't hear that. Why don't we grab that? Because look where we have parked ourselves in our grumbling. We have stopped and said, God doesn't care. God doesn't matter. It is not happening. And now we've separated ourselves and we can't hear. So let me make it very, very clear to us today. When we murmur, complain, and gripe, we have moved ourselves away from God and we begin to become ignorant to his plan for us. Thank you, that one person. <laughs> and what happens then is we begin to live this life in ignorance. So how do we get rid of that? To dethrone ignorance, we've got to enthrone God. We have got to root ourselves in him no matter what happens. I trust him. So there was this mass of people that were abducted from Israel and taken to another land called Babylon. And I want to describe Babylon to you for just a moment, the way the scripture looks at Babylon. Babylon is a continuing example that was used by God of a system of false beliefs concerning provision. Jane Hammond says it this way, from the beginning to the end in the word of God, we find the city of Babylon as a representation of a system of false religion full of idolatry, false authority, founded in rebellion, and systems of false government, established through unrighteous gain and underwritten by the monetary systems of the world. 
Look, the worship of mammon is the foundation of the Babylonian system. And that builds a seat of power for Satan himself. Let me say it again. The worship of mammon, the worship of of this one who says we must bow to him and believe what he says about who God is not, has established a Babylonian system of false beliefs and false government, and upon that is the seat of satanic authority that springs out into this world. And it's in that original place of Babylon, in that spiritual poverty, that there are three God-trusters who are now confronted by their king. And these guys have been serving in the royal court, but they're followers of Jehovah God. And the king has established another idol inspired by the mammon spirit and an influence of that country. And he's established his own statue of himself saying, all must worship. And they said, we can't worship that. We can't do that. They're still respectful, but he said, they said, we, we just can't do that. And they said, if you don't do that, you will die. We will throw you into the furnace and you will die. Listen to their response to the king, the book of Daniel, the third chapter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your, your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. King, we honor your authority, but we honor our God more. And so here's the deal. We have a pretty good idea what he's going to do for us, but if he doesn't do it the way that we want it to be done, we're still going to trust him. We're still going to try, and we're going to still trust the plan that he has for us, even if it's not the one we choose, because we still are going to trust him no matter what. Now, the story, many of you know the story. The story is they threw him in the furnace, and it was so hot, the people that threw him in died instantly from the heat. They were bound up when they were thrown in, and the king looks back into the furnace, and he realizes that these guys who were bound up are not even being consumed by the flames. There's no smoke. Later, they find out there's no smoke or, or fire smell on their clothes. The only thing that burned up were the bondages that were around them when they were thrown in the fire. And he says, how many did we throw in? They said, three. He said, well, why do I see four? And one of them looks like the son of the gods. Because God always gets the last word. We have got to be convinced that God is good and his plan is good. And even if we have to wait for the answer, we are not going to back down no matter how long it takes. Because God always, always, always has the last word because he is the beginning and the end. And everything else will cease to exist before he would ever cease to exist because he can't. And so he will get the last word for himself and for you and me. Bert and Linda, come join me up here. Everybody say, hi, Bert and Linda. Hi. You say, hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Okay, good. All right. So here's the deal. We've been walking together in these last year? Longer. Get, get that microphone up there. Four years. Four years. You guys have felt that it, it was a good thing and maybe a needful thing for you to move from where you live. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you began looking, and you thought you found the place. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we, uh, we found a foreclosure that uh, 
we, it was just one of those odd things. It was a driveway that uh, had a broken down mailbox and, and I took a, a little bit of a detour and snuck around and looked in the windows and saw that it was You stalked. Close. I did yes. stalk, okay. I'm a stalker. Um, so um, we did, we, we went through that and uh, Linda uh, was not real open to doing a lot of push-ups and uh, we did, we did the push-ups. Um, we even had Pastor Jason come to the house and, and help pray with us. We had uh, some of the men that I uh, walk with. We actually laid hands on the house, and so they're stalkers also. Um, and, and we really felt good about it. It was a beautiful place and, and pretty much what we thought we... So, so this had. really was the place, because I remember talking, this, this place, it really was the deal. And, and you, you... You, you you really got you have a tendency to really attach to those things and really go for it when you think it's the right thing. I wasn't on board at all to begin with. I thought it was way out of our range, and I was everything you were talking about today. Couldn't wrap my mind around it. How could that possibly happen? But I trusted God, and I trusted my husband, who was really feeling like this was it. So then I got on board and started just just believe it, speak it. You know? Right. So you guys went to, there was an auction. Yeah. What happened? Um, it was going really well for a while, and everybody stopped bidding at a number that we were really happy with, and I think we were thinking, this is really going to happen. And then one gentleman decided it wasn't going to happen, and when we lost the we lost the bid. You lost it. You've found out later that this guy, no matter what the price was going to be, he was going to keep going up. Yeah. Yes. It was. So you lost it. We did. What did you feel like? I went to the car crying. <laughs> what, what did that do for your, your, your view of God at that moment? Let's just be really honest about what, what were you struggling with after that? Well, I, I felt like we did everything right. You know, we, we prayed about it. We felt like it was right. So we, I think we both were really disappointed, but fairly quickly on the ride home, we thought, wow, if that isn't it, then he must have something really amazing for us. So, so you, did, you didn't get really angry with him, maybe a little disappointed. I was very disappointed, very disappointed. but I wasn't, yeah. Disappointment's a word for anger, but we're going to go with just <laughs> yeah, disappointment. Okay. Okay. I didn't break anything or hit anything <laughs> or... Right. So that happened how long ago? Last February. So last, yeah. Okay. So then, then you, you... And then again in the summer, it happened again. It happened in the summer again. With another. We, we prayed about it. And we, we found another house that we liked. And we moved uh, very slowly. Yeah. And again, prayed about it. Made an appointment to get in there for the second showing. The house had been on the market for four years four years, off and on. They had run out of realtors. They had gone through a divorce. It had switched hands. And so we made, we prayed about it, talked about it, decided um, that we were going to switch school districts because that was something that I kind of was in a mental block. Um, I was kind of controlling how God was going to bless us. Um, uh, and I, I'm don't sure you appreciate it. I know it. you all do this too. God needs that help once in a while. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we make an appointment to go in the house for the second time and to put a bid on it. And two days before we go in, it's sold Okay. after four years. Right. So tell me, a little, how, are you, how are you processing this in your spiritual walk with God and your faith walk? What, what, where are you in this? I'm ticked. You're ticked. 
Well, I think one of the things that, that I probably struggled with was, is, um, to be completely transparent, I think sometimes Linda has come to a point being that we're, we're a blended family. We've had a beautiful home. You know, we're in a point of, do we really need to do something more? But, but we were feeling that we wanted to. And being the protector of my wife, to get her involved and to her to trust into me. So it was a, I'm trusting God, she's trusting me in God. And then to, for her to be let down, I was a little ticked off because I really felt that, that these were solid things. I s was out seeking wisdom. Um, we, we do tithe, we do give, we do all the things that we think we're supposed to do. We fail a lot, but, but we felt that we deserved that stuff and, and in a very selfish way. And so I was a little mad, yeah. but I kept going. But you kept going. Okay. So recently what happened? Um, well, we had actually got to a point where the weather was starting to turn. We had heard about a house from some friends, and it was, it was just, it's interesting to look back to see how God got me out of the box I was in to look at a different school district, to start to think outside the box, to believe that that desire that he put in our heart for our own house. Our house was not ours. It was his before. Um, and so I moved into it, and he had lived there um, in his prior marriage. So we made it our own. We really loved it and felt blessed by it. But there was something in both of us that felt like we had a desire to have our own place that we could call just the two of ours. Okay, let me just pause here because here, here's a principle that she just brought out. There are plenty of times when God gives you a desire. Because we are so lacking in having the understanding that God has for us, that when we get the desire, we already paint the picture of what that's going to look like because we think, well, that's the way it's going to be. And sometimes we have to go through the disappointment so that he can wipe that picture out because he has something better in mind for our future. And, and I think that's what was important is we can stand here today and see that those prior three or four disappointments that we've had, and, and he's even revealed that you didn't want that house because there was a big issue that we found out later mm -hmm. that, that would have cost thousands and thousands that, that the house was condemned and then the house was not able to be moved into right away. So, I mean, we are seeing the blessings of God not blessing us with what we wanted. So the process you're going through, you're describing, is trusting God, not necessarily the plan. Right. But getting an understanding as you keep acting. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you've... You found another place, and what happened? Right. So this would actually be, we had four letdowns in all over the course of the last two years when we really seriously decided we were going to make this move. So this house came up. I dismissed it because I didn't, I, I didn't feel like, you know, it was in our box of what we could do, which it was not in our <laughs> strength or our provision yeah. or anything to do with us. We weren't wrapping our mind around how it would work. Um, and we had a realtor that we were dealing with, so we kind of had to, things had to really fall into place. Our, our house needed to be sold at a, at a certain price, and, and this house we needed to be able to bid a certain price, and we were kind of told by some people that your house can't sell for that. You, 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 you shouldn't, that's, that's too much. And so we, we were kind of going, well, 
Let's just try again. So, so you bid on the house. We bid on the house. And what and this happened? This is after we stopped looking. We had stopped looking, and this house came up. So it was. It's one of those things when you know you don't get it. It's yeah. usually God. So um, we decided that we would bid on it. It's a very different bidding process because it was a foreclosure and had been taken over by Fannie Mae. So we put our bid in and 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 prayed for the best, but knew the first bid was probably not going to be. We weren't putting God to the test, like, if this is it, then, and if he doesn't, then it's not it. Because we knew it was a little gray, so... In other words, we, you're trying to be cheap, and I understand how that goes. Cheap. That's right. Get the I'm best bid. Cheap. So, so, first bid was not a first bid. So, 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 they came back with a counter. Yep. You yep. came back with a counter. Yep. Yep. And? They accepted it. They accepted it. Okay. Now, you just put an offer on a house, and yours isn't even sold. And it wasn't no. even on the market. No. <laughs> Now, I'm not telling you all to follow this pattern, but this is what they sensed God was telling them to do. So, so you put your house up. Yes. And, and we got it, a new realtor. You got a new realtor. That gave us a different picture of what we have always felt about our house. Because, again, we loved our house. We've always felt like it's a blessing. He felt like our house was worth more than our prior realtor. So, we so got you our kept house getting, ready. you kept getting people through. Yeah. We actually set a record for uh, the, the realtor. We had more people through our house in 27 days. 55 than... people through our house wow. in three weeks. Wow. All right, so it hadn't sold. It hadn't sold. Last Sunday, we go through this whole beginning of the series. Yes. And you guys stand at the end, and we pray a prayer of release. Yeah. Exactly. What happened? It sold that day. It sold that day. Yeah. Well... What were the words of the realtor when he brought the, you gave me, you told me that he came in and said. Well, he, he said, this is a uh, offer from heaven. And, and that's where it was. We didn't even know what the offer was. And he walked in the house with a sold sign and two pens. He said, said, you're not countering. This is an offer from heaven. It's done. Okay. So now here's what I want to tell you folks. This is just what's happened to them. Again, don't use this as a pattern, except this pattern. (laughs) Trust God. Trust God. And keep moving ahead. Now, you're still going to have to go through the process of due diligence and inspection and Absolutely. all of that stuff. Yeah. So you still have to walk by faith. You still have to Absolutely. trust him. Absolutely. Because it's not going to be done until it's, not over it's yet. all signed and the money's in your hands and, and yes. all of that. Right. So here's, here's what I'm going to tell you because we're going to t- pick up here next week. When you're moving in God's plan and you begin to get the blessings, the warfare will intensify. Yes. And next week, I'm going to tell you what Jesus tells us we do to fight that warfare. So what I want to do for us today, because all of you are listening to the story, and some of you say, hey, my house is having issues, or yours is a different issue. Some of you have been standing in line with lost hope. And it's time for you to see the opportunities, the door in front of you and say, I don't necessarily have to have everything in my hand. I've got God. I'm going to start walking that way. And so what I want to do today is I want to pray the same prayer I prayed last week, a prayer of release for us. Next week, we're going to pray a prayer of confession and release from generational issues of poverty in your life. This week, I want to release you into what God has for you. So will you stand? You guys just stand right here. Soak it in some more. You may want to take a a posture of receiving. Sometimes that's just opening your hands, which means your heart is open to this. And let me pray this over you.
So now that I pray that any atmosphere of poverty encircling you or your sphere of authority be invaded, be invaded by the atmosphere of blessing and presence of God Almighty. I pray that you will see the magnitude and the massiveness of God and his love for you, that you will discern the voices of the spirit of poverty around you and you will declare that the king of glory is entering your gates. I pray that you will have the courage to release all you possess to God and will receive the restoration from God all that the enemy has tried to take from you. And as you tithe, may God's lordship take control of your finances and your employment. And as you give, may your generosity be returned back to you multiplied. May you find the joy in God's place for you and in providing resources for others to find God's place for them. And may this be the beginning of your freedom from the spirit of poverty. And may you find God's protection as you enter into your freedom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Amen.